That's a hard lesson to learn. You're a firefighter, and some guys are firefighters or firemen for 10 years, and then they decide, or then they finally take a test, and all of a sudden, boom, they're sitting in the front seat. But, man, you got to remember you're not a fireman anymore. You, you don't ride in the back anymore. you got to be ready to call the shots. you got to be ready. The hardest word in the firehouse to say is no. you got to be able to say no. Right. you got to be able to say stop. you got to be able to you know tell your chauffeur to slow down. you got to be able to tell your favorite nozzle firefighter, your favorite guy that you work with, you got to be able to tell him, hey, get in uniform. What are you doing? You know, it's not easy to do, but that is a that's an important lesson. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Chief John Salka needs no introduction, but I am going to attempt to do it justice. He has served 47 years in the fire service with 33 of those years at the FDNY. He retired as a battalion chief in the Bronx. He instructed at the fire Academy for the probationary school, captain's management and the battalion chief's command program. He's the author of numerous magazine articles and four books Five Alarm Leadership, First In, Last Out, The Engine Company, and his latest book, The Fire Scene. There is honestly too much that could be said about this man's career, this man's life. Uh, I will say this. I am honored to have him on as the guest of Weekly Scrap, episode number 224. Welcome, my brother, John Salka. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very excited. Is there anything I missed in the intro? Anything you would like to add? Not to my bio, that's for sure. I would cut it in half if I could, but uh, but you did a good job, yeah. Excellent, man. The the crowd is logging in. They are getting excited. Uh, there are some let's freaking go with some rocker horns thrown up from Jake Deal. Getting ready to get schooled. Hello, Chief Salka. Uh, Michael Pierce said, back from Jobtown, just in time to scrap. Kevin Fluger said, John Salka, one of the OGs. A lot of hype right here. Chuck Hennis said, through the front door with John Salka, the legend. So there's lots of hype. I hope you enjoy the hype. Uh, <laughs> Timothy James Ramsey Dickinson said, just finished first in, last out book club. Fantastic read and great nuggets. So, yeah, there's lots of hype here. Nice to hear. Nice stuff. Yeah. All right. With that being said, I will get through the next fun part, which is the sponsors. I love the sponsors. They make the scrap possible. They are the ones who make the scrap better and better each and every week through their support. Keyhoes, the hose experts. Check them out online at keyhose.com. Follow them on Facebook. Then there is the affordable bailout prop. It is firefighter owned and operated. The affordable bailout prop allows you to practice window bailouts using a personal escape system, ladder bailouts, or ladder high points. The affordable bailout prop can roll under any 12-foot overhead door so you can train on the apparatus floor or in the parking lot. Call Steve or Dennis, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Firestationfurniture.com provides a complete line of quality furniture for your firehouse. It is firefighter-owned and operated. They understand the strain firefighters put on furniture and offer furniture that's built to last. Visit www.firestationfurniture.com for more information. And the final one for the night, Royal Flush Beer Line Cleaning. 
They are a firefighter-owned and staffed company that provides draft beer systems, installation and maintenance throughout the New York City metro area and beyond. They also build custom kegerators and fire service-themed beer towers and tap handles. They'll turn a two and a half into a, into a tap handle. It's pretty cool. It really is cool. Whether you own your own bar or you are looking for a system for your man cave, they have you covered. 18 years of experience, Royal Flush, beer line cleaning. It's your first new solution for draft beer systems. You can find them on Facebook at service at affordable uh, at royalflushblc.com. All right. That being said, All right. we get to the good stuff now. Yep. Yep. First thing out the gate. I want to ask you, because you uh, worked at some of the busiest companies in the FDNY. You did 18 years as a battalion, but also worked at some of the busiest companies. I can only imagine the sheer number of people you could discuss, but I want to start off with a very broad question, and you can go whatever direction you want, as deep as you want, or whatever direction you want to go with it, but mentors that impacted your career uh, and made you into the firefighter that you were. <clears throat> what were you saying? What are the people? Is that what you asked? Yeah, just your mentors, the people that impacted you the most. You know, you know, it's funny because I don't want to say there are so many because everybody says that. Everybody has so many in the fire service. And the thing with the fire service, particularly with the FDNY, although I think it's true to some degree everywhere, is, you know, people move around. So I, I went through the ranks. I was a firefighter. I was a lieutenant. I was a captain. I was a battalion chief. So right off the bat, I was in four different places. But even as a firefighter, I went from the place I got appointed to, to a truck company. I left the truck company. I went to a rescue company. And so you meet so many people, and you can end up having serious mental relationships, serious training relationships just about everywhere you go. And, and you know, I can mention guys like Tom Kennedy, guys like Pete Lund, who was my lieutenant in Rescue 3, some of my fellow firefighters like Jay Jonas, who was in my probie class and you know, we graduated together and worked in a couple of companies together as well. So, you know, th- those three and many more, um, which that's really what builds the fire service is, is folks mentoring and training and helping. You know, senior firefighters don't even know what the word mentor means. They don't even pay attention to that. They just know they're breaking in the new guy, you know. Right. And when they break in right, you pick up good habits that they picked up from somebody before them and somebody before them. And, and then all of a sudden you have traditions, you know. I love it. I absolutely love it. If I can get it here, there we go. I, I this is a uh, everybody out there. Please, if you have questions for Chief John Salka, get him in. Kyle, I, I forgot to mention this part, so I'm kind of excited. But uh, Kyle is here. He is monitoring all of the chats. He will pull out your questions. So if you have a question for Chief, please throw it up there. Kyle will grab it, and I will, of course, uh, throw it at him. Uh, here we go. Uh, magic wand, Chief. You have a magic wand. You get to go back in time and work one more 24-hour shift anywhere you want to work, right? You, you get one. I, I know it's, it's almost like ha- asking somebody to pick their favorite child, you know, so I wouldn't ask you to do that. But could which ones would be at the top of the places you worked? You know, I, I'm going to answer that in two different ways. The first one was, you mentioned, you know, what was your favorite place to work? And people ask that all the time. And I, I have the greatest answer of the, in, in the world. And my answer is, wherever I was, was the greatest place in the world. You know, when I was in 48 Engine, it was the greatest place. When I was in Squad 1, that was the greatest place. When I was in Rescue 3. So, so a toss-up would be right now between Squad 1 and Rescue 3. And I probably have to go with Rescue 3 because, number one, I was a firefighter there. I was a fireman. So 
still doing fireman work, still carrying the tools, still working hard. And we had a little bit of a bigger area than I did when I was in, a, in uh, the squad in Brooklyn. So we covered all of Manhattan, not all of Manhattan, all of Harlem and all of the Bronx. So we were quite busy uh, when I was in Rescue 3. So that would be one of my – if I could spend another 24 there as a firefighter, certainly I need to be a little bit younger and a little bit lighter to do that. But No, that comes with the magic wand. We get to be young and lighter. Right, right, right. Right, yeah. right. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Are you ready for your first question from the audience? Sure. This one's coming from uh, Brian Brush. Chief Brian Brush is asking you, Chief Salka, I've been rereading Freed's Fireground Tactics. It's a great book, and he's a great author. Any chance you can give me an idea of his influence on the FDNY? And whose name did you mention? Who is it? This Brian Brush. Brian Brush? No, whose book is he asking oh, me oh, about? I'm sorry, Freed. Freed. Oh, Okay. I'm familiar with his books as well. You know what? For me, for me to try and remember what lessons or what learn, what tactics I learned, or from from which books would be very difficult. Um, I certainly could tell you some of my favorite books, like John Norman's uh, Fire Officer's book on fire tactics, a great book that I, I bought for my son, who's a firefighter as well. So, so many books out there, and as you can see in my library behind me, and that's only half of it. I have a lot of them. No, absolutely. There we go. There we go. What was one? Okay, this one comes from RNN Woodworks, which he said he met you earlier this year. Uh, I don't know what his name is because it's RNN Woodworks. But what was one of your close calls you experienced in your career that you're willing to share? You know, I'm trying to think if I really had any close calls, um, other than every other run that I had in Squad One, which was a close call. Right. But uh, man, when I got there, I, I didn't think I could stay. The rig was fast. The guys were fast. They were aggressive. They wanted to get there quick. Um, but back to close calls, wow. You know, I don't know. I was in busy places. I did a lot of work in a lot of places. And I can honestly say I don't think I really had a memorable close call where my well-being was close to something happening negatively. Uh, I, I, bet the, I bet the fires where collapses happened and where other things happened, but at the time, I happened not to be involved or not even be near it. Right on. Jake Deal wants to know, Chief, what are the top three places you have gone to teach or do speaking at on the road? Your favorite places to teach at on the road. Gosh. You know, again, I've been to so many, hundreds and hundreds. I've been doing it for, gosh, I think 30 years now. Wow. Wow. Um, Canada was always great because they're very appreciative when you go up there, and, you know, getting across the border and everything else. Alaska, I had great times in Alaska. Been there five times teaching, and they don't get a lot of people traveling up there all the time, so you get good crowds and everybody really pays attention to what's going on. Um, I love teaching for Sue at the New York State Association of Fire Chiefs. She is by far one of the best people in training in America. New York State Fire Chiefs run a great program every year. And not only do they run a great annual program, but they have other programs during the year that they run live fire training and leadership spe uh, speeches and stuff like that. Um, just to name a few. Right on, man. It's safe to say uh, you have some experience in the fire service. That's a safe assumption. I would guess so. What are the biggest changes you saw over the course of your career and and – what changes do you see for the future of the fire service? You know, I guess 
Well, one of the big changes that isn't really an object or a piece of equipment is we've expanded to doing so many, so many other things. You know, when I first got on a job and I was a fireman, we were putting out fires, dealing with maybe car accidents. Once in a while, somebody would call us for a kid hit by a car or choking. And that was it. It wasn't quite simple, but it was basic. Uh, and now we do everything in the world, which is which is amazing. And, and that's good. As far as equipment and policy goes, like SCBAs have really excelled. I have a picture of me on a ladder. I forget who took it. With another firefighter helping a victim off an area ladder. I got the old steel bottle on. I got a pair of leather, like electrical worker gloves, and and the face piece just had the little two, the the, the two little clear lenses for your eyes. Right. The rest of it was solid rubber with the elephant trunk. So SCBAs by far. Radios are a big change too. Nobody had radios years ago. Now, thank God, everybody has radios. And I guess you'd have to say turnout gear too. PPE. All we had was rubber boots and. Not quite leather coats, but they weren't very they weren't very advanced back then and now they are. No, absolutely. The equipment is 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 bar none. Uh, Kyle Romagus wants to know, Chief, Andrew Fredericks has been a huge part of my development during my career. Can you give us some insight on what it was like to work with him? Yeah, Andy was a great guy. I worked with him in 48 Engine. He drove me a couple of times. I have a video somewhere. I got a Pull it out. It's a, it's, it's a tape. I, I'm going to have to get it converted. But of him driving me, somebody in the back video, a couple of runs with him driving me. It was fun. Andy was a great guy. He was very bright, way, way smarter than me. Um, knew a lot about the fire service. And, you know, he knew a lot of the <clears> – <throat> I don't want to sound stupid, but he knew a lot of the scientific stuff. He could explain a lot of stuff. I could just say, wow, more water comes out of this than out of that. And he could tell you how much. And he could tell you why, what kind of hose was better. And, and what different types of nozzles did. He was a prolific writer. All his writings are very interesting. I have somebody printed it up about five years ago. It's, it's, it's not even a book, but it's a big, gigantic pamphlet, The Writings of Angie Fredericks. And it was all of his articles stapled into one little book, which are pretty interesting. Great guy. Great guy. Had a great sense of humor as well. Love it. Uh, I'm looking for which, which question I want to ask here. Kyle, Kyle is still pulling your questions. He's slapping them all up here. Uh, Adam Piasecki, I hope I'm saying that right, Adam. Adam Piasecki says, Chief, as a new and younger battalion chief, what are some nuggets that you can give that you wish you knew when you were a brand-new battalion chief? That's a good one. That's a good question. As a new and younger battalion chief, what nuggets can I give him? Well, I'm an old-fashioned guy, as you know, but we do the old-school thing, my, my buddy Lasky and I, and I'm a rule follower. I'm a guy that always says follow the rules. If you have SOPs, follow your SOPs. If you're supposed to visit every company every day, visit every company every day. Um, if you're part of the decision-making process or, or if the decisions above you come down to you and then you have to disseminate them out to the companies, make sure you do that like you own it, like you like you made the decision. You know, some guys come down and say, ah, Headquarters are changing stuff again. Now we got to do it a different way. And it, and it just doesn't, it just, I don't think it does you right as a battalion chief or as an officer of any rank, frankly, to do that. Um, and, 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 and stay into the job, stay into what's going on. Keep reading, keep studying, keep listening to the radio. You know, it, it's hard to say get into the job and be into the job, but, but it really is important, especially for a battalion chief. There you go, man. If you get nothing else out of this, that right there, get into the job, stay into the job. 
Stephen McCaffrey says, question, Chief Sokka, how do you measure good culture in the firehouse, and what are your favorite ways to influence a positive culture? Culture is my least favorite word, but I'll answer the question anyway. Okay. Um, you know, where I come from in the FDNY, most firehouses, now I'm retired 13 years, and I can only I can only testify about how it was 13 years ago. But I visited since then, and I still have friends on the job. Um, most of the quote-unquote culture in the FDNY is is long-serving, hand-in-hand-down from generation to generation. Even simple things like talking on your cell phone. Nobody talked on their cell phone in the kitchen, on a rig, or at a job, ever. My whole time on a job, I never saw somebody on a cell phone. I, I can't say that's still happening now in, in the whole country, or maybe even in the whole job, my job, but... Things like that are important, things that get passed down. And, and I think stressing and paying attention to the senior guys, certainly officers play an important role in, in guiding and molding young firefighters. But I think senior firefighters pay a larger role because they, they're with them a lot longer. They're sitting in the kitchen after dinner when the captain goes up to do some reports. They spend a lot more time with them. And, and, and my best advice is follow the advice and follow the example of the senior firefighters. Follow the advice of the senior firefighters. I like it. There you go, Stephen. Bull. Uh, Timothy James Ramsey Dickinson, the longest name in Facebook, wants to know. There you go. Does your focus on perspective of leadership change as you progress through the ranks? Backseat to the chief, how do you stay focused on making the right decision for the people you support versus appeasing management? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I wrote an article one time called um, leadership arenas. And, you know, when, when you're a younger lieutenant, you're supervising some firefighters, one rank below you. Obviously, you have a captain maybe above you, certainly battalion chiefs and higher-ranking people. And you have to treat everybody according to their rank. Obviously, you answer to the people above you, and, and you, to some degree, you know, pass orders down to the, to the folks that work with you and, and below you, your subordinates. So you have to get used to those relationships. And as you move up through the ranks, they change. Because suddenly you're a battalion chief and you're supervising other officers. Now, a battalion chief does not quite use the same tone of voice or the same leadership skills when he's talking to a captain with 20 years as maybe a lieutenant does when he's talking to a firefighter with three years. So you sort of have to grow into the positions that you're in, whether it's company officer, chief officer, or beyond, and – those different arenas have different ways of doing things. Love the analogy of the lieutenant to the three-year. Brett Price wants to know, Chief, what was the most challenging obstacles you've had to overcome between the ranks and the companies you've been a part of? Wow. Biggest challenge. <clears throat> That's a hard one. I, I can tell you one of the biggest ones was I was fortunate enough to get transferred to Rescue 3 when I was a young firefighter. I only had five years in the job, and I say this all the time at all my seminars. If I was the captain of Rescue 3, I would not have taken me. You know, um, I was a very young guy. I'm not saying I wasn't qualified, although I was barely qualified compared to the folks that were there already. There was a large number of people there that were. I don't want to say as old as my father, but almost firemen, right. not officers, firemen. Um, 
It was a senior company. That was very difficult. I was a young, young man. I had some fire experience under my belt. I was in a good, busy truck before I went there. But every day I went there, I was the Bob. I was the Johnny. And I was learning not only new stuff about fires, which is the basic story, but then all the other rescue stuff as well from guys with 20 and 30 years on the job. And there I am with five years on the job. I really, I really had no business carrying their boots. Love it, man. <laughs> Keep the questions coming. They're great questions. Uh, I like this one coming at you from James Mitchellisco out of Indianapolis. James coming at you says, Chief, what is the greatest memory of Pete Lund, a.k.a. Vulcan? Pete, I could talk about Pete Lund for the rest of the hour. You know, he was such a great boss. He was such a great guy. He was such a great friend. And I can't say that about a lot of people. I had a lot of great bosses that I was not friend friends with. I had a lot of great bosses that I was not friendly with. But they were great bosses nonetheless. But Pete was an exception. Pete was so into the job in the volleys out there in Woodmere. I would pull up to Rescue 3, and the Woodmere Chiefs car would be parked out on the curb. And I'd know it was Pete Lund. And it would. It, my day was made. I didn't even get it to the firehouse yet. And I already knew we were going to have a great tour. Always training. You didn't even realize we just spent an hour training when we were sitting in the kitchen talking about something. Right. And always listening to the radio, always out the door early for runs. He was he was quite the spectacle. Yes. Quite the spectacle. Uh, thank you, James. I'm looking here. I'm looking here. I'm trying to avoid culture. He already said he doesn't like the word culture, which someone asked why do you not like the word culture? So a chance to explain a little bit. You know, first of all, I guess, I guess I'm just not that smart to start with, right? You know, you get into all these definitions nowadays. Because, you know, we start using different words to describe the things we've been doing for 50 years, VEIS instead of VES and all this other stuff. That's a little more technical than this. But really, it's just the atmosphere in the firehouse. You know, if you would have said culture, 30 years ago in a firehouse, they would all looked at you. They, they would have taken a cigarette out of their mouth and said, what are you talking about? Right. You know, you know, culture is just a modern word, a modern description of the firehouse attitude, of the firehouse environment. And I've loved it. Every place I've been, every place I've been has been a little bit different than the places before, but they've all been great. And, and if you want to call it culture, knock yourself out. Call it the culture. That's fine with me. So it is, it is the firehouse attitude. It's just a new yeah. label. The new label. Okay. No, no, I get it. I want to. I want to be clear. Uh, Eddie Ivy says you mentioned the senior fireman. What, in your opinion, makes a firefighter a senior person? Now that's interesting too. What makes a, What makes the senior firefighter the senior firefighter? Yes, sir. Well, it doesn't have to be somebody with twenty years. We talk about this, Rick and I do. My buddy Rick Lasky and I we teach in our company officer academy. The senior firefighter might be a guy with seven years on a job in a junior company. He might he might not even be the chauffeur. There might even be somebody more senior to him, but he might be the guy that's that's got enough time to share his knowledge and help guide and develop some of the younger people. I've worked with some senior firefighters that were very sharp and very knowledgeable. They just weren't really very helpful. Not maliciously. They weren't lazy. They weren't uninformed. They were smart and bright and had a lot of knowledge. It just wasn't in their makeup. It'd be like you just can't go to a construction site, grab a guy, and bring him into a, a school and tell him teach third grade, you know, just because right. it's easy stuff and he knows it, right? So 
sometimes the senior thought fighter is more about what's inside the guy, what his attitude is and, and, and his experience and how much he loves the job. Sometimes that's more important than how many years. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I love the analogy. I like this. This is just a comment because I'll break up the questions with a comment every once in a while. Chad Small said, Chief, your book, First In, Last Out, Leadership Lessons from the New York Fire Department, was the first book to start my leadership self-development. I got it as a new release from Barnes & Noble. I read it a few more times since, so thank you. So just a comment. Oh, that's nice to hear. That's my first book back back from 2003, and uh, it wasn't my idea. Actually, they called me and said, hey, we're looking to put a new leadership book out, but we want to do, obviously, 2003 was just about 18 months after 9-11. So there was a big interest in the FDNY and what we knew and being role models. And according to the folks that that talked to me and eventually got me to write that book, they said they talked to Vinny Dunn first, and he said, no, I got a bunch of books out already. What's your call? And they, and, and he mentioned my name to them. So they came to me, and, of course, I, I agreed. I thought it was a great idea. And and that was back in 2003. It was my first book, and I still I still carry them around. I still sell them. People still looking for that book. No, it's a great book. One of the very first fire service leadership books that I read. And so it had an influence on me. Between that and Pride and Ownership, uh, two of the biggest influences on me as a young man. So, Pride and Ownership, great book, great book. Uh, Walter Lewis asks, apologies if you've already asked to answer this, uh, but Chief, what was your inspiration for the Get Out Alive program and how did it come about? That's a great question, too. It's it's not a very happy answer, but it's a great question. <clears throat> I don't remember the exact time period, but you could look it up. The FDNY suffered 11 line-of-duty deaths. 11 men died in the line of duty in 23 months, not even two years. It was, it was obscene. It was so tragic. It was a terrible time in the job. I was a captain of 48 Engine at the time. I was in a busy company with great guys that loved going to fires, and we were going to fires every day. And we were sitting around scratching our heads because it was senior guys and junior guys. It was officers and firemen. It was in Brooklyn and Manhattan and Queens. There was no, there was no two alike. And it sort of shook me up a little bit, and I started thinking about it. I was already a state fire instructor in New York State at the time, teaching up where I live up in Orange County mostly for volunteers, but, and I started, I started thinking, what can we, what can we learn? And, and I looked at the, I looked at the 11 line of duty deaths and I came up with the ladder bail and the rope slide and the uh, room orientation. I came up with all of those in the wall breach because if, if the 11 guys that had died in the 23 months had all known those skills, there's a great chance that maybe eight or nine of them would have survived. Certainly conjecture on my part, right? but I do believe it. So that's what, that's what prompted me to do it, and, and I did it. And I started writing an article. First article was in Firehouse Magazine called Training Your Firefighters to Get Out Alive. And I turned it into a, uh, into a seminar, and eventually I was teaching that program both at the Firehouse Expo, hands-on training, and at FDIC for many years. And I can safely say thousands of firefighters went through that class. Mm. And made a difference. Without a doubt. Jeremy Cochran. Hope you don't mind these questions because they're rapid firing them at you. So I hope you don't mind. Uh, no, 
You're absolutely crushing them. Jeremy Cochran wants to know, what piece of advice that you learned the hard way would you give to a new lieutenant? That I learned the hard way. <coughs> well, you know, the old story about Buddy the Boss, and I think I already mentioned it a little bit, but but I certainly could mention it again. That that's a hard that's a hard lesson to learn. You're a firefighter, and some guys are firefighters or firemen for ten years, and then they decide, or then they finally take a test, and all of a sudden, boom, they're sitting in the front seat. It's hard to walk away from the ten years, but man, you got to remember, you're not a fireman anymore. You you don't ride in the back anymore. You got to be ready to call the shots. You got to be ready, as I wrote in my article in Firehouse Magazine. The hardest word in the firehouse to say is no. You got to be able to say no. Right. You got to be able to say stop. You got to be able to, you know, tell your chauffeur to slow down. You got to be able to tell your favorite nozzle firefighter, your favorite guy that you work with. You got to be able to tell him, hey, get in uniform. What are you doing? You know, it's not easy to do, but that is a that's an important lesson, especially for new young developing officers is remember you're an officer and if you do your job if you do what you're supposed to do it, you'll be you'll be doing everybody a service all the firefighters that work for you if you're just their buddy if you're just their friend if you let them get away with wearing a pair of dungarees and a t-shirt instead of what they're supposed to be wearing if you let a guy wear a pair of boots instead of a pair of bucket pants or if you let a guy turn out slowly because whatever he's in the back working on his car all those things are going to have negative consequences not only to the rest of the crew but of course, to those folks out there in the street that we're that we're all there to serve. Sorry, I got to make notes. Got to make notes and timestamp when I'm posted timestamp when you <laughs> when it's a soundbite. I absolutely love it. Thank you, Jeremy, for a great question. Ryan Parrish, I know you have spoken about this. This ties right into that question, so you've already kind of touched on it, but I wanted to throw it at you. I know you have spoken about working in companies as a newly promoted lieutenant with men who were very senior to you. Your thoughts on setting those initial expectations for your crew. And that's exactly right. When I first made lieutenant, I had about seven and a half years on a job. One of the first places I went amongst many, 17 engine, 18 truck, Fort Pitt, P-I-T-T, it's on Pitt Street, down the block in the same battalion from where I had been a firefighter several years earlier. Um, so I knew a lot of the men there. And I and I tell the story all the time. I was an 18 truck. It was a tower ladder. And everybody on that truck, just about everybody in the company, but everybody on the, on my shift was probably 15 to 18 years older than me. Some of them 20 years older than me. And now I did know some of them. So, so we had a familiarity already with each other. But I had no problems there. They respected me and I respected them. And and and, and mutual respect for people is always very helpful. Um, but I still had to assert myself occasionally in a very professional way, of course, right. as the boss. And them being good firefighters who always had good bosses there anyway, they knew that even if they were getting a, an instruction or an order or a suggestion that they weren't wild about, that if the boss wanted that done, we're either going to do that or one of the guys might come up after I talked about it, stop at the offices. Hey, Lou, you got a minute? Yeah. Usually we do that after lunch. I know you wanted to get it done right away. Was there a reason right now? I said, actually, no. I just had it on my list for now. Do you mind if we do it after lunch? Not at all. So I was able to get done what I wanted to get done, and they were able to come up and say, do you need it done right now, or, or can we do it a little bit later? And if I needed it right then, I'm sure they would have done it. 
But at the time, I actually didn't. So it worked out nice. Right. Nice. Very nice. Thank you, Ryan. Great question. I'm looking here. I saw one I really liked. I wanted to ask you. Brian Iceman wants to know, Chief, you always say as a company officer, if you're not training with your crew, you're not doing your job. What is your go-to drill? What was the last part of the question? What is your go-to drill? <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> it's it's so simple. It's so simple. One of the simplest things I always said was, if you can't figure anything out, walk down to the apparatus, open one of the compartments, reach in, grab something, and pull it out, and there's your first drill. You might pull out a saw. You, you might pull out a gas can. I could pull out a gas can, a red gas can. I could run a drill on a red gas can. I could look on it and say, what does it say? Does it say gas or does it say mix? What does mix mean? Which of these machines does a mix go in? Which of, which of these machines does just straight gas go in? I mean, you could just go on and on and on with something as simple as pulling a gas tank out of a compartment, never mind a tool or a machine, which is twice the amount of time you could spend on it. There, there, is no, there is no topic. There is no go-to topic for drills. You can drill on anything. Pull a piece of hose off. I could talk for a half hour about a nozzle, you know? I love it. I got to write it down. Sorry. You can drill on anything. I love it. Uh, Jim Platt says, Chief Salka, Chief Rick Lasky and yourself seem to have a very special friendship. How did that friendship come about? It came about because we both were instructors at FDIC. He was teaching Saving Our Own. I was teaching Get Out Alive. And so many of the people that were going to his class for half a day would also go to my class for the second half and vice versa. So eventually Bobby Halton and the people that were running it said, you know what, let's put you guys at the same site so we don't have to bus all these people every day from one site to another. So they put both of our classes at one site. And that, combined with the fact that we both were friends of John Norman, and John Norman introduced him to me inside FDIC one day in the hallway. He was walking by, and he said, John, I'm here with my buddy Rick. And, and he introduced us, and then we ran into each other on the training ground, and, and the rest is history. The rest is history. Old school history. Absolutely. Keep them coming. Keep the questions coming. Um now this one's kind of this is my personal question. This ain't even coming from the audience. You are a father. You have five children, but you have a son on the job, correct? I have a son who's a firefighter, correct? Son that's a firefighter. And and so I have a son that's a firefighter. He's 2 years and and I've always I don't um what advice basically would would uh what's the best advice to give your son that is a firefighter? You know, and, and the same advice comes up under different situations. Sure. But my best piece of advice to somebody who's joining the fire service is to work your ass off. Don't tell them what you know. Show them what you know. I mean, there's, there's a couple of little sayings that, that I picked up over the years from other people that really sort of hit the nail on the head. And those two in particular, uh, Timmy Klett, another one of my friends, a lieutenant from 88 Engine who's now retired. He's an instructor. He's out there. He wrote an article about stepping up, stepping up to any job that needs to be done. Basically, some of the advice that I got as a young a young firefighter, you could never go wrong with a good work ethic in the fire department. Those are the guys and the gals that get, that get noticed and picked out right away. And before you know it, they're telling you, hey, Smithwick, 
sit down a little bit. Let the other probe get some work done here, you know? Before you know what they're telling you to take a break because you rather than you looking for a break. Right on, man. Work your ass off. Perfect. I don't think it gets more simpler than that. Uh, Jim Platt coming at you saying, Chief, what has changed in the fire service that you are the most excited about and why? Wow. Excited about. That is a good question. Changing the fire service that I'm most excited about. I'm not quite sure. I, I can tell you that training is much more of an integral part of every fire department now than it used to be. You know, now when I was a volunteer in Mineola, which is where I started back in 76, we had drill night, training night every Monday night. And I was there every Monday night as just about everybody else was. And we would do whatever we were doing that night, ladder company operations or forcible entry or driving around with the rigs and stuff like that. Um, career fire departments, not so much 20, 30, 40 years ago. They they would or they wouldn't drill. Now I think drilling and training in, you know, on-duty training on shifts, like I said before, company officers that don't do it aren't doing their job. I firmly believe that. I can't believe that a, a company officer of any rank with any experience can't find something to talk about between 30 and, and, and 60 minutes. I, it, right. It's hard for me to believe. So I would have to say that training, and, and not only training as a as a topic, but all the training props, the forcible entry, and 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 all the other things that are out there to help you uh, learn how to use different pieces of equipment. Coming at you. Uh, you were heavily involved in training from the probationary academy all the way up to the battalion chief uh, command command uh, schools. Uh, what, according to you, are the key training strategies that you found particularly impactful? Your keys. Training strategies. I've mentioned a few so far on this show. Right. We mention them all the time on old school, Rick Lasky and I, and I do it in every class I teach anywhere I go. Stories, real life stories about real life things that have happened. Now I like to tell real life stories about the firehouse that have gone, actually gone on things that I did right or wrong or learned a lesson from, but also, you know, Talking about you can take that construction worker and put him in a classroom. The guy might really be a very smart guy, but he's not a teacher, right? So I think using good stories and good scenarios helps people understand, helps the typical firefighter. You know, I know a lot of new young guys have college and they got, you know, bachelor's degrees and, and things of that nature, and that's all wonderful stuff. Um, but that that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people knowing what, what their job is and being able to use Real life stories for people that they can relate to, you know, and, and right. I, I've had good success doing that. Right on, right on, man. Trying. Uh, uh, Chief Armando Vasquez says, Chief, as a new lieutenant, what do you recommend? Do you turn the blind eye or do something towards situations that need to be addressed with coworkers? At the firehouse. So I'm not sure exactly what the question is there, Armando. Something's going on. Do you turn the blind eye toward it? Uh, <clears throat> well, you do what Colin Powell said. Colin Powell said never walk past the mistake, right? And that's what you should do. You should never walk past the mistake. 
if you see something being done wrong, if you see something being said that's improper, if you see somebody taking some action that you know is not right and should not be happening, especially as an officer, you need to act. Now, for two reasons. If you don't act, if you don't say something, if you don't say, hey, Billy, Billy, I don't want to hear that again. I don't want to hear that out of your mouth in the firehouse. Okay, Cap. If you don't say something, meaning you walk through the apparatus floor while they're saying that stuff, and you say nothing, they look at each other when you leave and say, you see, I guess it's no big deal. He didn't say anything. You've pretty much given them permission to, to do it again. That's right. number one. Number two, when you do say something, you when you, when you do walk past the mistake and say, hold on a second, who packed this hose? No, 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 no. This is not what we do. That nozzle shouldn't be there. Hey, guys, come on. Let's take the hose off and get it done right. It shows, number one, you know what you're talking about. It shows, number two, you're not afraid to say something. You're setting a good example for another officer who maybe saw it and didn't say anything because he wasn't sure. You do, and now he learns a little lesson silently. Next time he sees something, he might say something. So, yeah, never. there's no such thing as a blind eye for a company officer. Oh, I love that. That right there might be the best piece of this is there's no such thing as a blind eye if you're a company officer. Uh, Walter Lewis coming at you says, Chief, where did you start your career as a firefighter? And then he put in parentheses, it's a little nod to the Florida Fire Service. Okay, so I started in Mineola, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. Right. Volunteer Firehouse out of Long Island. Great place. Still have some friends there. Matter of fact, just recently, about three months ago, I went and visited Company 2. They had their, their monthly meeting, and I went for the meeting, and we had something to eat, and I stayed for the meeting, and a bunch of the guys that were there when I was there were still there. We took a nice picture. It was great. I left Mineola. After I took the FDMY test, I got on a list, but I knew I wasn't going to get hired right away. A buddy of mine, Richie Bonnets, and myself, we drove down to Florida actually on a vacation. But once we got down there, we realized, wow, everybody's paid down here. We ended up signing up for and returning back to Florida to the Florida State Fire Academy. We graduated a 200-hour minimum standards class, and we both got hired in Titusville, Florida, right next to Kennedy Space Center in 77. Okay. And stayed there. I stayed there for a year and a half. I think he stayed there maybe another year beyond me. I got called, and, and I went back. And then he got called for the FDNY, and he went back. And that we both we both did our full careers and we're both retired now. Nice. But, and in between there, I joined the volunteers where I live now, and I'm still a member there. Excellent. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Um, Stephen in Ali Adams says, Chief, where do you draw the line between being particular about the way stuff should be done versus being overbearing or micromanaging? How do you how do you That's define a great that? question? Yes. Great, great, great question. Because you know what? Sometimes you have to accept people's best efforts. Not forever. Not forever. The probie comes in and he's not quite cleaning the tools right. You know, so and maybe one of your firefighters either tries to deal with it or maybe he mentions it to you. So that, that's that's not something you're going to go over and, and discipline him about or even talk harshly to him about. But, but you, you want to get it done right. So I use the example. I tell a story all the time about the uh, captain tells the probie, wash the rig. We, we got to go to the division of training, and we want to look nice when we get there. Captain goes upstairs, comes down a half hour later. The kid's rolling up the hose, and he did a decent job on the rig, but he forgot the wheels. And I always ask the guys in class, what do you say? What do you say to the kid? 
And, the, and some guys say this, some guys say that, some guys say, I'll tell him you missed the wheels. Some guys say, what happened? Why didn't you? And I would have said, hey, nice job. Very good job. And then I would tell the chauffeur, hey, when we get back, tell him he missed the wheels and, you know, help him hit it and explain to him why that would be better. So he still got a little attaboy for doing what he thought was a good job. Right. And I still have an opportunity to, to correct it and make it look better next time. Nice. Addressing the underlying issue. And it's different yeah. if you see it as a pattern, correct? It's if different you, if what? If you saw that it was a pattern of him falling short. Oh, yeah, or it was some guy with five or seven years that came in one day and just sloshed through the rig real quick because he didn't feel like doing it. I would be like, hey, Timmy, it really is this how you wash your own rig? I know you're hearing a detail today. Come on, let's give it another shot, you know? Or a guy that was doing it that way two or three times in a row. Then things might have to change, right? No. Great question. Thank you, Stephen, for a great question. Great answer, Chief. Um, Josh Everts wants to know, how often do you get to get out and run calls at the volunteer company? I'd love to be able to ride a truck with you or Lasky at your volunteer companies. I can't say every day because we don't get runs every day. But whenever there's a run, I go. You know, uh, my wife's in a volunteer ambulance corps. And if I don't go, she's like, hey, your page is going off. I'm like, what? And, and I'm off and running. Um, it's actually a bit of a problem in the fire service nationally. My department is no exception. Uh, we'll have a company meeting at eight o'clock at night on a Wednesday night, and there'll be 38 guys there. And we'll have a run at 2 a.m. that same night, and three guys will show up. Mm-hmm. So I always make sure I'm one of them. You know, I can't complain about guys not showing up if I'm not showing up, right? Even though I'm 65 years old, I'm three times as old as some of the kids, you know? First in. There's something, yeah, something to be said. Uh, Jim Platt says, Chief, it seems that the East Coast has a much deeper appreciation for the volunteer side of the profession. What keeps that drive going? You know, I don't know what it is. I guess in in my uneducated opinion, I think obviously the the East Coast is older than the West Coast, right? Been developed for a lot longer. There were cities here when we hadn't even found the Pacific Ocean yet, right? right? So it's a little bit more instilled. There's a little bit more history here, I guess. Um, I really don't know what it is, but I can tell you I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I live in the Northeast, that I live in a relatively rural neighborhood in the, in the state of New York. And the volunteer fire service, I think, still very healthy here. We're having some issues, but I think it's still very healthy here. You move out west, and there are volunteer companies, obviously. But like I said, I don't think they have quite the same lineage quite the same history that we have it's the amount of pride that's built in you think there's the tradition well yeah yeah i mean it, firefighters are great everywhere you go I, i'm not yes. comparing east coast to west coast or east coast to middle america but uh it, it, it's distinctly different in some areas love it okay we're get, we're wrapping up the questions and we're getting there um what tim uh Timothy James Ramsey Dickinson. I'll never get to where I say Tim D. But uh, what skills did you learn in your time in the training academy that helped you hone your leadership qualities and knowledge? What? Wow. What did I learn in the Proby Academy? Yes, sir. You know, Proby Academy in the FDNY back when I went through in 79 was pretty – I think it was eight weeks long, if I remember correctly now. I just – was cleaning up in my office a little bit in the last couple of days. And I found my old department order, 60 men. 
we had 60 men in my probie class and um it was pretty it was pretty basic back then it was pretty old school pretty tactical i'll tell you one thing i learned do what you're told to do it quickly and keep your mouth shut and that's not all necessarily new modern advice that we do now that's not necessarily what we say now to probies but back then it was and i got to tell you it served me well most places that i went to as a young firefighter i stood around and listened and did what i was told and did it as quickly as i could and i was happy to be there i i don't think it's much more complicated than that some people try and read a lot more a lot more stuff into it that i i don't think is necessarily necessary i love it i love it now you are a reader. I can tell from the uh, and and we talked already about John Norman's books. But I love to ask this question of my guests and ask them what book or books they think firefighters should be reading today. It doesn't have to be a firefighter book, but what books should firefighters be reading? I'll tell you, I like the books I like, and I bought them for my son. Uh, and I, and I got to remember. I got to remember the name of my. I, I got them up here on my bookshelf. The the one that Billy Goldfeder did, one, two, and three, and, oh, yeah. and, and each book, each book Pass had like, huh? Pass it on. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I think there's three of them. I yes, think sir. there's three of them. Those three books. Every firefighter should get those three books. If you read those three books, you have read about everything in the fire service, from tools to equipment to leadership to being a company officer to being a chief fantastic making rescues what great books they are because there's such a collection each one is an individual collection of varying experiences from people all over the country love it love it uh billy goldfeathers and you can he's he's on the cover with this big mustache the cart i think Paul Coons, my, i don't i shouldn't say paul i think he did but i think it was a cartoon version of him sitting there yeah saying pass it on great cover easily recognizable uh with that yes. beautiful beautiful mustache all right, Chief, we do a thing on here. It's called the five questions for firefighters. We've been doing it for roughly 200 episodes. The questions have changed over time, but we're currently at uh, it's called the five questions for firefighters version 3.2. The questions are asked by me. The answers are 100% your opinion. There's no right or wrong. And then me and the audience give you points. So my question Wait. for you is, are you ready? For the the five questions for firefighters, version 3.2. Absolutely. Shoot. All right. Here we go. Number one, what is the skill that has carried you through your fire service career? That's an easy one. And, and I already mentioned it. It's, it's a positive work ethic. If you join a fire service with a positive work ethic, if you want to be there, if you want to learn, if you want to get to a busy company, I knew I knew before I got on the FDNY, I knew that I was going to be an officer and that I was going to be a battalion chief. I knew it. And they used to kid me, and they did kid me at a couple of like probie class reunions. My nickname in probie class was the chief, believe it or not, because guys knew, or maybe I had that attitude on me. I don't know what it was. So, you know, that – that positive work ethic is what officers recognize when a when a young firefighter comes in and they and they work really hard. And they 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 get a hard charger. They're the first one on the rig. They're the first one to the front door at a job. They get the tools done before anybody else comes into work in the morning. So that positive work ethic has served me well. I did it from day one through every rank that I had, and 
And, and all I could do was advise others to do the same. Boom. That right there is a solid, yeah, everybody's saying it. Max points. Boom. Max points from Bradley Valencourt. Greg Van Ham says, max points. Absolutely. T- TJRD says, say it 100%. And Jake Deal said, max points. Always stay positive. So it's not just me. Max points on question number one. Good. All right. Question number two. Chief, it's job town. It's time. You are in route and responding. You have to think of the scene from Backdraft where they slap that tape into the cassette deck and the song mm. starts playing. So what song are you going to play while in route? You know, I thought about that. And I was I started to look it up to make sure that the, the title that I had was the correct title. But when I say that, when I say what I think the title is, I'm sure you'll know what the song is. The beat is on. You ever hear that song, right? The beat is on with, with that drum roll, that drum beat going in the background. I don't even know who did it. I'm terrible with, uh, with artists, but, but I know the song well, and that's the song I was thinking about. Excellent. Excellent. No, I love it. Uh, we will find it. And there is, just so you know, there is a Spotify playlist, a playlist running around with all of the answers to this question. And so your song will be added in there. Someone will eventually say the name of the song. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I had looked it up today. Oh, yeah. Nigel Hefty said, from Beverly Hills Cop. That's so, it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. We'll find the, act- the actual name and we'll post it. So there you go. Max points, two for two. And then number three, coming at you, what is your favorite fire service tradition? <clears throat> I put a lot of thought into that. And it's hard. Because, God, I love it all. I love it all. From the minute I walk in the firehouse in the morning, I love sitting around the kitchen table in the morning. That was always one of my favorite times. Obviously, the rig gets checked out. And I was always checking the rig out because I was always a bop. I got promoted with seven and a half years in a job. Eight years, I'm sitting in the front seat. I'm not cleaning tools anymore, right? So sitting around the kitchen table, whether as an officer with, with, with the men or as a firefighter with your favorite company officer and, and the rest of your crew, I, I love that that morning concept, that breakfast concept. I've always said that 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 probably some of the funniest. Can I say shit? Oh that, yeah, absolutely. That's got to be some of the funniest shit that I have ever seen in my life. Is stuff being said and being done in the kitchen table at shift change in the morning. I, and I've also always said that if we could film that. If we could do a live one and, and put it on TV, we'd all be millionaires, but nobody would respect firefighters anymore. You know, because <laughs> you know, some of the stuff we do is 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 absolutely a little bit over the top. It is for us only. Yes. Absolutely, dude. Uh, absolutely. And Josh Everett said max points with six X's. Yes, checking in is important. Max points. Yeah, and the and here we go. I'll read this to you real quick, Chief. The heat is on is a song written by Harold Faltermeyer and Keith Forsey and recorded by Glenn Frey for the American film Beverly Hills Cop, 1984. So there you go. So it was The Heat Is On is the title then? The Heat Is On, yes. Oh, good. So I had it right then. Right on. Good. Perfect. Perfect. Three for three, max points. I love it. Number four. (laughs) Now, this one, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, This one is, uh, we had to put this one on the clock. Number four, you're on the clock. You get one minute to answer. So there's no honorable mentions, and I put you on the spot. 
Sam will put the timer up there. You'll be able to see it counting down. But we want to know who are the four people that you would put on your Mount Rushmore of the fire service. And all right, go. The first one is Steve Chikaronis. Steve is uh, the technical advisor for Chicago Fire. I appeared on Chicago Fire for one one episode for like a minute and a half. He's the guy that got me on. But what a gentleman. What a gentleman he is. He's a professional deputy district chief retired from Chicago. I, I've, I've worked with him a couple of times and, and socialized with him. Boy, is, is he a, uh, he is just a top-notch guy. Steve Chikorotis is number one. The second guy is Mike McNamee. Mike McNamee was the, was the district chief, the battalion chief at, at the Worcester Cold Storage yeah. Warehouse. And Mike McNamee, he had a gigantic set of bowling balls that night. He's the guy that said no more people are going in. And the men were not happy with him. And right. I know them now. I'm friendly with a bunch of them. And the men were not happy. To an extreme. I don't want to get into it. Uh, and, he, and he stood by his decision and probably saved a lot of lives. The next guy is Mark Wesseldine, who none of you probably know. Mark was a firefighter in Ladder 5-8, where I was a battalion chief. And he was by far one of the most, most talented, natural firefighters I ever worked with. Always interested in what was going on. Would never do something that didn't come out perfect and go try and figure out why. Half the jobs I went to, he'd be at my door after the job. Hey, chief, you got a minute? And we'd be talking about something that went right or went wrong with the job. He retired after 9-11. Knew a lot of guys that got killed. Went out. He's out in Colorado now. He's a chief out in Colorado. And guys that know him out there say the same exact thing about him that I say about him here. Great, great gentleman. Never heard him raise his voice. Always very, always very, you know, he listens more than he talks, you know. Great guy. Nice. And the last guy I'm going to mention is Bruce Klein. Bruce Klein is a chief of the fire department, the Lady Island fire department down in South Carolina near Myrtle Beach. Okay. And I met him from presenting at the Myrtle Beach Conference. Another guy that I, I can only say is one of the nicest people I've met in the fire service, a professional, soft-spoken, but, but, but his, his words carry weight, uh, treats people like gold. He can make anything happen. You, you want him to run a seminar. You want him to run a hands-on training evolution. You want him to run a classroom on how to put stripes on a fire coat. And and nobody's going to do it better. Another great, great guy that I don't live anywhere near, and I only see once or twice a year, and, and I absolutely love him. Love it. Absolutely love it. Number one, uh, you got Chikaronis, McNamee, Wesseldine, and Klein. Salka's Mount Rushmore of the fire service. Absolutely killer, which takes us to the fifth and final question. Chief, there is heavy fire. There is searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? <clears throat> That's a hard one, too. I was a captain of an engine. I was a lieutenant of squad, which is an engine in the FDNY, although the squad carries a lot of truck equipment. Um, I was a truck, a truck firefighter earlier. I was in a rescue, which is like a truck. I wrote the engine book, but, 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 I, do, but I do talk and... I don't want to say complain. I do talk a lot about the number of people that die in the United States every year in fires, and it's over 3,000. In the last couple of years, it's closer to 4,000. 4,000 American citizens die, mostly in their own homes, in fires every year. We wet our damn pants 
when more than 100 firefighters die, understandably, but but almost 4,000 civilians die. And I, and I got to... And I got to think that we got to be doing search and rescue and VES better. Having said that, having said that, I'm going to tell you a short joke. And, and, the answer to the joke, and the answer to the joke will give you the answer to the question. Why do truck firefighters cut a hole in the roof of a burning building? I'm waiting to hear. So they, so they can look down and see what the real firefighters are doing. That's <laughs> the guys in the end. That's the guys in the engine. Final answer. There you go. That might be uh, the best answer I've ever heard for number five. I love it. The first time it's been answered with a joke to give the answer. I absolutely <laughs> love it. So I will give max points. Uh, and there you go. The five questions for firefighters, according to Chief John Salka, my brother, that officially makes this 224 scraps in the books. If people want to get the hold of you, what's the best way to do so? The best place is email, and it's chiefjohnsalka at gmail.com. Beautiful. I love And when you get a chance, you got to come back and look at the comments on Facebook because there was so much anticipation for the answer. Uh, and then when you, when you did the joke, <laughs> it completely closed it out. It was great. 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 Excellent. Great. Thank you, Chief. Okay. Housekeeping. Um, let's get there firehousevigilance.com go there become a vigilante if you're not a vigilante why not Christmas time is here I think there's one of these hats left all the rest are sold out there's a couple hoodies a few shirts go become a vigilante go get the swag uh, go grab some Christmas gifts if you're not a vigilante you need to ask yourself why you're not a cool kid um, coming up next week to close out 2023 you had Chief John Soccer this week you have Chief Rick Lasky next week and then we kick it off 2024, starting off strong with National Fire Radio's Jeremy Donch. So it's going to be a good time. Vigilantes, I will post a link to the after party for after this is over. Go click and join. Um, Anybody who wants to join, if you register fast enough, Sam will try to get you in for the after party tonight. But if not, you have to wait till next week. My brother, Chief John Salka, thank you for being such a phenomenal guest and sharing your evening with us tonight. Thank you for the invitation. It's been wonderful. The questions were very intriguing and you had me you had me on my toes a little bit but i hope i uh hope i came through for you well mostly it's the audience i'm just here to facilitate and they are amazing and i always tell them this thank you for tuning in tonight and throwing great questions at me so i could throw them at the guest you are the ones that make the scrap magical and i love you all remember mutts don't scrap i hope the tone stays silent unless it is burning everybody stay safe out there Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.